Remember when The Mandalorian came out and we all saw Baby Yoda for the first time and said, "Oh, well picture that, but with a baby hut and the exact opposite reaction. The force was definitely not strong with this one, but don't worry my young Padawans, we're here to prove to you that 2008's Star Wars The Clone Wars is not that bad. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this edition of It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A, great in B, movies. And we have our mega crossover episode today because joining me on It's Not That Bad this week is my just another nerd show co-host Kevin Hilsden. Welcome to It's Not That Bad. Welcome back actually because you were here when we you know when we dared to tackle Fantastic Four. Kev, how you doing today, man? You told me this was just another nerd show we were recording. God damn you, Wiz. God I, damn you. I lied. You tricked me. You tricked me. <laughs> I prefer to think of it as a I Jedi mind tricked you. We're not doing Fantastic Four again, right? No, we're so tough. We are, we are definitely not doing Fantastic Well, maybe we'll do the Roger Corman one. That would be fun. <laughs> I, I would enjoy actually doing that episode because I can just imagine that would just be so, so fun bad. But we are in the middle of massive amount of Star Wars content that has been blessed to us by Disney. But then we just, we found this movie. So why this movie? Because it's not that bad, Wiss. It's, yeah, there, roll the credits. <laughs> roll credits. <laughs> roll the credits. Okay, I have to fully admit that we bounced around a few movies to talk about when we were talking about, you know, Kev coming back on the show. Originally, we were going to tackle Ballistic X versus Sever, and Kev then texted me and said, why? Why are we doing this? I can't, I no, just no, just no. The, the word I used was, it's undefendable. <laughs> <laughs> you do realize, though, by, by throwing the gauntlet down, somewhere down the road, we are going to have to tackle Ballistic X versus Sever. You, you said you said in the tag that it's finding A grades in B movies. Yes, that's I did. That's not a B movie. That's not a B movie, man. The, the that's, B- that's a D minus on a hot summer day where everything else is going right. And you've lost 30 balls on a golf course. No, that's a fat F grade, buddy. That's a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, but you see, the problem is, uh, what I didn't say is that the B stands for ballistic. Ha-ha. Loophole. Ha-ha. But, but in all honesty, why did you did you recommend this movie? Um, Other than the timely storyline, I, I actually enjoyed this movie when it first came out. I was a little younger. Um, and watching it back now, obviously I noticed some things now, um, but from a 2008 standpoint, it kind of, um, obviously we know what became of it, but it started something so beautiful that I was able to grow with. Like we now have an Ahsoka show coming out on Disney plus and you and I get to review her origin story and you really see that it's evident in helping Anakin grow as a character mm-hmm. I do think they did Obi-Wan dirty however now I'm watching this back I'm like <laughs> I, don't, I don't like what they did with him but you know what that's besides the point I think it helps Ahsoka and Anakin grow a ton um, and I know I think Hayden Christensen said in his prep for Obi-Wan he watched all of the Clone Wars mm-hmm. so good on him man like that's a way to win back over the fans 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so before we get into the, the the breakdown of Star Wars: The Clone Wars, and it should be mentioned that we are talking about the 2008 uh, computer CGI animated The Clone Wars movie, not the one that was released in 2003 from the creators of Samurai Jack. We are not touching that one. We're talking the 2008 one. But before we do, I'm going to hand the microphone over to Kev here, and he is going to trailerize it. A fan base divided. Your favorite Jedi are tasked with finding a newborn and returning it to his father. If our heroes complete their mission, they can take advantage of Jabba the Hutt at a time of crisis in order to use his fragile state to militarize his part of the Outer Rim. We get introduced to Ahsoka Tano, the character that everyone's dad said, Who's that? In the second season of The Mandalorian, Dave Filoni makes his directing debut as he takes on lesser-known characters, Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi, who step up to lead what can only be described as the longest-feeling TV episode of all time, Star Wars The Clone Wars. Rated PG, now streaming on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> That is so fun. Oh. I spent all day on that. I didn't even get any work done. I <laughs> you've been you've been gunning for that like all day. You're like all I'm day. going to trailer rice today. That's good. I oh. was watching I was watching old videos of uh his name is Ken Ken something, the the guy who actually does the voice for it. Mm-hmm. And I've been like trying to mirror what he does and I'm like I can't do what he does, but I'll try my best. Like <laughs> he's so good at it, man. Uh, so let's do the run th- uh, the rundown here. Uh, this movie stars uh, Matt Lanter as the voice of Anakin Skywalker, uh, Ashley Eckstein as the voice of Ahsoka Tano, James Arnold Taylor as the voice of Obi Wan, D Bradley hello Baker. Hello there, D Bradley Baker is the voice of every clone that ever cloned. Uh, and of course, returning from the actual movies, you had Samuel Jackson, Christopher Lee, uh, and Anthony Daniels, and then you had you know quite quite a few other uh, voice actors, but those. Those are kind of the main ones. However, in doing my research, there is actually an almost starred of a, of a sort. Because when Ashley Eckstein actually tried out for this movie originally, she was trying out for the role of Padme Amidala. But they said that her voice sounded a little too young for Padme. And that, of course, that role eventually went to Catherine Tabor. Um, then they called her back and said, here, we're, we have this character. We want, we want to try you out. She tried a couple of different voices and whatnot, a couple of different accents and, and inflections. And then they're like, you know what? You're really good just with your natural voice. So that, that's basically her natural voice is apparently Ahsoka Tano. And that's kind of cool. Although it would have been interesting um, to hear her as Padme. But I, I, can, I kind of agree that her voice, I think, fit a bit more for Ahsoka Tano. Oh yeah, the I was I was saying um about like 10 15 minutes into the movie, I was like, man, they act, like you know, movement aside the the lip syncing with the audio and whatnot like and, and obviously the 2008 CG. You know what? I'll give it a pass cuz it's 2008. Holy cow, they got the character design like perfect on everyone. It just they all look so good. The clones look clean. Anakin looks great. Obi-Wan looks great. Ventress, uh, I think, gets a better look in the TV show. Yoda looks great. Mace Windu looks great. 
Padme looks exactly like Natalie Portman. It's uncanny. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just they, they killed it. And I think the voice acting was incredible, too. I think they wrote Obi-Wan dirty, but I'm going to keep saying it. It's not any <laughs> less true. I think they did him dirty in this, but it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'm over it. I'm over it. You did mention in the trailer eyes that it's directed by Dave Filoni. And yes, this is actually his his movie directorial debut. Uh, just before this, though, he did direct some episodes of Avatar The Last Airbender. But of course, Dave Filoni is right now the savior of all things Star Wars. Uh, but it's funny, though, because when you think about it, this came out in 2008. Disney didn't buy Star Wars and Lucasfilm until 2012. So literally, this is the show that kind of carried the torch for Star Wars fans for a number of years, kind of bridging that gap from Revenge of the Sith all the way until we got The Force Awakens, aside from the books that were coming out. Like, I know in 2008, they released um, the Coruscant Knights books kind of thing in the expanded universe, which apparently are no longer canon. You Disney, uh, but <laughs> I spent so much money on those damn books, and now they're not canon. But the, the funny thing is, now they're starting to become canon again because Filoni's bringing in those characters. So ah, it's all relevant. It's all relevant. Uh, the nice thing is, though, is that this was not a money loser. Uh, according to IMDb, uh, this film had an estimated budget of eight million dollars. And it went to theaters because the whole game plan was for this to um, basically be kind of, as they say, a backdoor pilot to the series. So it came out in theaters and then like, it was like two weeks or two months later or whatever, it it actually uh, debuted on TV as well. Uh, But while it was in theaters, it made $35 million domestically with a worldwide gross of $68 million, which is not bad for an animated film. Um, It debuted... When it came out on the August 15th, 2008 weekend in number three. Now, the movie that debuted in number one that weekend was Tropic Thunder. You were not going to beat Tropic Thunder. Like, just just give up all possibility and hope of, of actually debuting at number one. Tropic Thunder is just comic gold. Uh, in number two was The Dark Knight, uh, which was still in its fifth week, but at that point had had grossed four hundred and seventy one million dollars. So, you know what? If you don't if you don't knock The Dark Knight down, I think that's OK. Um, it debuted, though, over a, a movie called Mirrors, which was some like Kiefer Sutherland horror film. And then uh, at number 10, Vicky Cristina Barcelona uh, debuted in uh, limited release. So, I mean, for a movie that was basically, you know, a, a, an, an introduction to a TV show, not bad for debuting at number three, if you ask me. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, number three is respectable. Yes, considering The Dark Knight, um, considering, well, because I think, did the news of Heath Ledger break before or after the movie was released? I think it was after the movie was released. I think that might have pushed people to go and see kind of his last piece of work a bit more. Um, and what was it, number one again, would you say? Tropic Thunder. Oh, yeah, yeah. no, you never go, no, no, you never go full retard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. But I don't, th- I, I think this movie did pretty well. I saw it in theaters. I was mm-hmm. one of those idiots. Um, $8 million budget. You can't imagine, like, I can't, this this is, well, like, I circle back to a point you made before. This was probably the piece, because I know that they had just finished the prequels, but this was probably the piece that they circled back around to at the investor meeting, if they, if uh, Disney was buying Star Wars, and they said, mm, you know, maybe we could do something with this. 
Mm-hmm. And then they did, and then they kept going with it, and now it's just made a whole fan base love Star Wars all over again, or a whole generation rather. Mm-hmm. Now, just to put that in, you know into perspective, as far as that third place finish goes, uh, Tropic Thunder when it debuted, uh, just under twenty six million. Um, Star Wars: The Clone Wars made about fourteen and a half million in that first weekend. So when you realize that between number three and number one. Um, two very different films too. Um, you've only got a, about ten or eleven million dollar difference. It's really not that bad at all, as far as the box office goes. Um, however, however, it wasn't that well received by the critics. In two thousand eight, this movie was nominated at the Razzies for worst prequel, remake, ripoff, or sequel. It lost, however. To another Lucasfilm entry, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So when you realize that two Lucasfilm movies that came out in the same year, both nominated for the same Razzie. And then you have the critics. Over on Rotten Tomatoes, it currently sits at an an anemic 18% tomatometer with a 40% audience score. And over at Metacritic, it has a 35 Metascore. Now, I want to give this some perspective before we talk about, you know, how how right are the critics as far as that initial 18%. The overall tomatometer on the series itself sits at about 93%. Now, if my memory serves, the first season alone only sits at 68%, which is still a big increase over the movie itself. But overall, the, the entire run of the series sits at 93% with an audience score of 92%. However, on the flip side, just to show how out there some, you know, the critics can sometimes be, I, I had to look for this comparison. The Star Wars holiday special sits at a 27% tomatometer. I'm going to say that one again. The Star Wars holiday special, which is about 30 minutes of Wookiee talk with a Boba Fett cartoon shoehorn in there uh, with appearances from, and I'm not even kidding, B. Arthur, and I think Diana Ross was in there too, has a higher critic score then Star Wars, The Clone Wars, the movie. Uh, the only thing I can say that is what the f***? <laughs> and leave, leave it to Dave Filoni when it's finally his turn to come back around and, and direct The Mandalorian like so many years later that he still makes a reference to that damn holiday special. Mm-hmm. I think that one of the weapons that The Mandalorian wields is the actual weapon or some version of it mm-hmm. um, a weapon that Boba Fett uses in the holiday special. So he just said to fans, hey, you thought we were done with that? Mm-mm-mm, you got to watch everything. Right. Like, I mean, I, I'll, I'll admit and I, and I will I will call fair as fair here. If you're just criticizing that cartoon in the holiday special, then you know what? I mean, that because that cartoon was actually fairly good as far as and you had to put this into perspective here there's like 1970 or 1979 because it came out before the empire strikes back so in between star wars and empire strikes back this little thing pops up on tv and that cartoon 
is actually not that bad. But then literally, and, and I'm not even kidding here. The, I don't know if you know, have you ever watched the holiday special? Uh, not in full. I've seen clips of it. Okay. So the fact that you have entire scenes with Wookiees talking to each other in Shrewook, all right, which is the language of the Wookiees, without subtitles. It's like, like 15, 20 minutes straight. The f- acid were they on in the 70s? Seriously. I imagine, I imagine that's like what it is uh, living as a refugee on Kashyyyk. <laughs> just not knowing what's going on. Just trying to order a coffee and the guy behind you is like, I just I don't I don't do the, the Chewbacca voice very well. Yeah, I can only imagine he's saying "Hurry up, Mister!" and you turn around. You're like, I don't speak. I don't know what you're saying. I, I will admit that right now, somewhere, so, some Wookiee is listening to this podcast, going, "The f- did he just say? That's yeah. our that's our word. We can't. He can't say that." <laughs> oh, I'm so going to hell. I'm so going to hell. Hey, what's the equivalent of that? Like, we talked about Tropic Thunder and how Robert Downey went blackface in that movie. If right. he went like, would you go like fur face? Is that, is that is that the offensive thing for Wookiees? Like, I don't know. What is the thing? Wait, is wait. Like so Halloween saying, every year, it's super offensive to Wookiees. Like, are you saying that, every winter I am culturally appropriating Wookiee culture by growing a beard? <laughs> <laughs> Every winter, buddy. <laughs> Come on. Let's not kid ourselves. Oh, uh, I went full Wookiee face this year. It's all good. It's all you good. You never go full Wookiee face. Come oh. on. <laughs> all right. So let's get to the breakdown here. And and let's start with the voice casting. Uh, as much as you say script wise that they did Obi-Wan dirty, they definitely did him justice with the casting of James Arnold Taylor. And then for, An- for Anakin Skywalker, Matt Lanter, like those two voices and we talked about this over on Just Another Nerd Show when we were talking about What If. Um, the fact that they had the voices, you know, in, in a lot of cases they had the voice actors from the movies, but in some cases they didn't. And then actors like Lake Bell were able to come in and basically mimic what you heard in the movies to a point where you're like, really? They didn't get Scarlett Johansson? No, they didn't. Lake Bell did a phenomenal job. Matt Lanter, James Arnold Taylor, phenomenal uh, voicing of those two characters that we had now watched for three movies. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <I'm> just <laughs> They're not going to get this at home. Wait, I'm just reading D. Bradley Baker, and they didn't just put various characters, which is what they do for some people who play multiple. Mm-hmm. They, they actually wrote down every clone name on IMDb that he plays, oh, no. and eventually it just says dot, dot, dot. So I was curious. I clicked on the dot, dot, dot. It doesn't end. <laughs> like I think it. I think it, it leads to a PDF file where you got to open that up or something. I don't. I think that's crazy. This guy plays every single clone voice, and then on top of that, uh, I know for a fact D. Bradley Baker, um, uh, what's her name, Catherine Tabor, and Tom Kane. Those three specifically, and I think Matt Lanter did it once in a while because those guys are all pros. Like I'm not mm-hmm. saying any anyone on this cast is not a pro, but those three specifically are real pros. Um, they were constantly, constantly uh, playing other one-off and no-name characters that would appear on the show. Because um, when you have people as talented as that, you're not going outside to cast, uh, you know, Joe Schmo for a one-off role unless it's some celebrity cameo and it's a very recognizable voice. Like no, Tom Kane does. 
anywhere from the narration to Admiral Yalarin, who's a very iconic uh, admiral in the Republic fleet. He even does the voice of Yoda when they couldn't get Frank Oz to do it. Like, it was just... Oh, yeah, you, you, you said it before, but they killed it with the voice acting in this. Oh, mm-hmm. my goodness. I, th- I think it should definitely be said. And, you know, this comes from, you know, a fan of animated movies and animated TV shows that the voice actors that are that have been doing the voices for these series for the last like 10, 20, 30, 40 years, um, just remarkably talented. Like when you think about, um, you know, act, act, actors like Tara Strong, um, actors like Lacey Chabert, actors like Dee Bradley Baker, um, you know, all of these, all these guys and girls who come in to a room with a microphone and not just, not just like read the lines, but they create these characters with nothing but their voice and their inflection. Um, just hat tip off, like you know, I, I have told my wife on numerous occasions if I ever, if I ever had a chance to do a cartoon voice, that would be like a, a, a dream gig for a day, like just just once. And it's it's mainly based on um, a total respect for what these voice actors do. So, you know, hat tip to that. But I do have to point out that the fact that they did have Christopher Lee and Samuel Jackson come in from the movies to recreate those characters, I think also added a level of... Um, uh, not, continuity. not not credibility but yes definitely continuity because like you know it adds a bit more weight to putting this into the theaters because other, otherwise it's like oh hey look four episodes mashed together to make a, a movie no the fact that you got christopher lee and samuel jackson back in the booth behind the microphone to to redo those those characters um you know that that adds a weight to it yeah no for sure i didn't know it was sam jackson until um until after like I when you listen back to it like I know that the and this is where I don't want to go too too much into this because I know we're getting into Obi-Wan territory and kind of present stuff um like where, where people backlash the Cad Bane look where they're currently um bashing the Ahsoka look and the Grand Inquisitor look um keep in mind that Clone Wars Rebels um visions uh what's the other one resistance mm-hmm. the, these are stylized cartoons so when i and i'm getting back to the voice acting here because sam jackson acts differently on screen as he does as this stoic version of mace windu but it's all because it has to serve the stylized version of this like do you think and i know and i know that she's technically older in the mandalorian timeline but do you think Ahsoka Tano sounds as naive? Like, it's clearly kind of, not dumbed down, but it's clearly um, given a bit more of a positive vibe for kids, right? Like, there's mm-hmm. more of an upbeat feel to it. That's why I think they did Obi-Wan dirty in this. I'm not over it. I was kidding. I'm not over it. Um, <laughs> they did Obi-Wan dirty because in the first few minutes, he was being, like, very snarky. And I'm like, that's not, Obi-Wan's not snarky. And I don't think that's D. Bradley Baker. I think they just got it wrong because they had to kind of make it different for kids. They couldn't make these Jedi like like they have it all together. Like they actually had to kind of give them a bit of different personalities. Um, yeah, and, and Obi-Wan just came across as really snarky and arrogant. And then you get to the movies and Ewan McGregor is killing it. But he's not snarky or arrogant. He's just like... The hello there, I think, is the most snarky thing that he does, and that doesn't—it didn't come across as snarky to me. So, 
There, I got out my Obi-Wan stuff. Don't expect it to be the last of it. I'm not over it. I, there, I said it. I'm not over it. Anthony Daniels came back as C-3PO as well, by the way. I, I'm sensing a little bit of a, uh, what's a, a grudge, if you will, maybe, perhaps. No. Just a, just a little bit. Just just a little bit. I, I, did, I did have to look up... Um, James Arnold Taylor, as far as uh, characters uh, in other series that that he has voiced uh, in the Avengers Assemble series, he was the leader uh, in Ultimate Spider-Man. He was Hydro Man, but he was also Triton. Uh, and as I'm scrolling up here, in Guardians of the Galaxy, he's actually the voice of Yondu and Cosmo. So, you know, uh, again, another very, very, very talented um, voice. Yeah, actor. that's range. Oh, that's absolutely. Range. I'm surprised he didn't play Mace Windu. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, is, that, however, is that not something they could? Oh yeah, they can't do that anymore. Oh well, okay, never mind. Well, the the, the funny thing is, it wasn't originally going to be um, Samuel Jackson, if I, if I remember correctly, uh, and I may be wrong on this one as, as to which one it is. But I think I think they had Corey Burton set aside in order to voice. Um, it was either Corey he Burton did. or Tom Cor- King. Corey yeah. Burton voiced, um, I believe, whenever Sam Jackson was not available. They got him to voice uh, Mace Windu during the actual TV show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but but for this, it was supposed to be him uh, as Mace Windu. But then they're like, oh yeah, well we got Samuel Jackson coming to do this one, but we'll, we got other voices for you for this. And then I guess uh, Burton kind of carried on with the uh, uh, with the series afterwards. Um, but but again, like being able to like just be utter team player in that in that sense, like it's. Uh, you know, it's 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 really cool to see. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. 
And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, Rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. There, however, however, you know, actually, you know what? Before we get to uh, before we get to my gripe of the film, as far as the voice cast goes, let's talk about Ashley Eckstein, because there's a lot put on her as far as, you know, introducing everyone to this brand new character that we have never met in our entire lives. Um, like just knocked it out of the park for this. Yeah, I agree. Um, and given a very tall task, we get introduced in this movie, at least. Um, to Captain Rex, who would become a fan favorite. We get introduced to Asajj Ventress, who ju- was just kind of there. Um, <laughs> we get intru- I'm not going to lie. She was just kind of there. She wasn't an MVP for me during the TV show. Um, she was just a pawn, but not an unforgettable villain, but not a great villain. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I just, I didn't hate her. I didn't love her, but she was a necessary evil. Um, and we get introduced to Ahsoka, who was, uh, I think, one of the first, or was she the first to make the leap from cartoon to live action in Star Wars? Uh, I, I, I think you're right. As far, at least as far as characters that were introduced in the, um, you know, in those animated series and in this animated movie to to make the jump to the live action series. Yes, uh, it is interesting too because you know it was thanks to uh, I think it was Rebels that we actually had our, one of our first instances of a character from the Expanded Universe books, uh, that being Grand Admiral Thrawn, being introduced into the animated series. And, of course, Thrawn's also going to eventually going to be, I think, in the Ahsoka series. So uh, they are starting to, you know, reintroduce these characters that were, that, that were introduced to us, um, you know, in non, non-regular Skywalker saga films. Um, and it's really cool to, to see it expand that way. Um, but I don't know if we get an Ahsoka series if Ashley Eckstein isn't so good in this role. And really, Ahsoka is very much the heart of this film. Yeah, it's very much the... Because a, a lot of the um, the fans that came to see this, possibly with their kids um, in 2008, uh, were fresh off Revenge of the Sith, which came out in 04. Five, I believe, three years before. Mm-hmm. So we 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 got peak Anakin turning into Darth Vader, um, and you know, as as mixed as that movie was at the time, you had a lot of people going to the theater watching the Clone Wars um, for Anakin's story. And surprisingly enough, Ahsoka kind of rubs off on you a little bit, and you, you get out of there, you're you're like, you know what? That's that's a really interesting character and she helped Anakin grow a lot and of course the other thought that you have in the back of your head is how does this affect continuity um because this this movie takes place in between episode two and three pretty soon after episode two um and there was no mention in the live action movies of Anakin having a Padawan um but I guess he didn't need to talk about it really it was never brought up Mm -hmm. um but yeah there was there was no, no continuity errors that I could see. No blaring ones, uh, other no. than Obi Wan being weird. I I can see it being a little odd because, of course, the movie does take place in between episodes uh, two and three, as far as uh, uh, the Skywalker saga movies go. Uh, and you're right, like you know, all of a sudden it's like, well, this happened in between then, and then where? Well, where was Ahsoka Tano during episode three? Like, what? What? Where's his Padawan? You know, but they so answer I can that. S- That's why they did the TV show. 
Mm-hmm. It, you know, but that's the thing. Like, if, if this is your first introduction, it's like, okay, well, where was she during the third movie? But I, I mean, I get and that. And they brought back, by the way, we were talking about movie actors that came back. I'm fairly certain Matthew Wood, who's the voice of the battle droids and General Grievous in the show, I'm fairly certain they, they had him voice General Grievous in 2005. It's possible. I think he was the movie voice of Grievous because it's so filtered, right? He went to, uh, we saw him at Star Wars Celebration like a week or two ago and Matthew Wood was there and they're like, do the Grievous voice and he did the voice and I was like, that sounds nothing like him. It's so filtered. <laughs> like, it's somebody, they should have put like a pre-effect on his microphone or something because it was so underwhelming. Like he did a line. It wasn't at all like, um, who's the guy that does the Darth Maul voice in the show? Oh, uh, in the Sam, show. Sam Whitworth or something or? Yeah, I, I, I don't know who does it in the show. I think that's him. And he did the Darth Maul thing. And he goes, Kenobi! And we were like, oh my God, he did the thing. And Matthew Wood, it just didn't have the same effect. Because <laughs> like no. you see it, well, you see like the battle droids. And I know uh, James Arnold Taylor, as talented as he is, he does some battle droids as well. Um, So uh, you hear them do it. And then then if you've ever seen a behind the scenes there, um, they put it through the ringer of filters. There is so much that they do to it. Um, yeah, no, it, you know what? This movie actually had me at the end of it just saying it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. It's not as bad as it got, it got dumped on. And further, further to, you know, uh, pumping the tires for Ashley Eckstein here because Ahsoka Tano came across as so genuine, you know, thanks to her performance. I have to, I have to ask, you know, as a Star Wars fan, um, does Ray exist if Ahsoka Tano isn't so wonderfully played here. Yes. Really? Yeah. Or, yeah, or at least so. is it helped by it? Because let's be honest, let's be honest. I mean, aside from Leia, um, you know, the the the, the prequel movies didn't necessarily have as, as good as Natalie Portman was as Amidala in in the prequel movies, it didn't really have strong female characters up front. Here, Ahsoka Tano is very strong character right up front, doing very well and like, like definitely to be you know commended. I think Ray gets a boost thanks to Ashley Eckstein. Well, Ashley Eckstein's also um, credited in. Well, there's a lot of uh, former Jedi and actors that have worked on the prequels and on the original trilogy. Um, I think they even archived Alec uh, Baldwin's. Or sorry, Alec Baldwin, Alec Sir Alec Guinness's uh, voice from the archives mm-hmm. um, in Rise of Skywalker. That scene where she goes, "I am all the Jedi," which you know what, fans, as corny as you think that scene was, holy crap, did it have some nice callbacks? And it brought, I think they had a Matt Lancer voice in there, um, and then they had Ashley Eckstein as Ahsoka in there too, because I don't think at the time they had casted Rosario Dawson. No, though. Yeah, so they had to use who was available, and that was. That was a, a, an interesting move. Like, there's been some some things that have happened in Star Wars, that being one of them. And then I would say the Ahsoka episode of Season 2 of The Mandalorian, where it makes the um, more educated fans uh, uh, feel gratified. Gra- no, feel satisfied. Mm-hmm. Where uh, You know where I'm getting at with this? Because there was all those voices in Rise of Skywalker... And you're like, okay, so the the animated stuff is canon. We thought it before. I think people had said it before, but now that's kind of confirmed since we heard Ashley Eckstein. Mm. Okay, now we're hearing, and we heard Qui-Gon, and we heard uh, Sam Jackson, and we heard Alec Guinness, and like there was all this nice crossover, and you're like, okay, there's some continuity here. 
Then you get to The Mandalorian, and it's show run by Dave Filoni and John Favreau. John Favreau is famous for making really good stuff, really good stuff. And mm-hmm. Dave Filoni is probably most famous for his animated work with Star Wars, but he's also uh, affectionately called uh, the new George Lucas. Um, and if you if you ever have any doubts about that, go back and watch the behind the scenes. There's on Disney Plus. It's uh, season one behind the scenes of The Mandalorian. There's one on Legacy. It's titled Legacy. I think it's number two of that little series. Dave Filoni talks for the last 15 minutes on how Star Wars is a family show. And, of course, everyone kind of nods because they're like, yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. And he goes, you know, The Phantom Menace doesn't get its due credit. Um, but it truly is the arc. It is the turning point of the Skywalker story. Because Qui-Gon believes in this boy. He believes that the Jedi are supposed to love, right? And I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because it has nothing to do with the movie that we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, long story short, Qui-Gon believes that the these Jedi are supposed to love. So he thinks, okay, if Anakin is supposed to be the chosen one, I should be the one to take him in because I'm the best suited to do it. I would be the closest thing to a father figure in his life. And of course, we know that things go south and Obi-Wan promises Qui-Gon um, at his, uh, as his dying wish... Uh, to train the boy and it's just out of obligation it's not out of need it's not out of want or anything and this already sets Anakin down the wrong path it's it's that point right there duel of the fates that's the first time we get that song that is the duel of Anakin's fate and that was Dave Filoni talking for like 15 minutes at the end of that and I was like oh my god okay he is the new George Lucas he's so smart Um, and it was evident in that I think it was episode three or four of Mandalorian season two where we got uh, Ahsoka, and then in the same episode, so we got Ahsoka live action, Rosario Dawson, who was fan cast by Boss Logic or something way back when, um, which is awesome that they listen to the fans, and then in the same episode, she name drops Grand Admiral Thrawn, so you get Extended Universe, you get Rebels, you get Ahsoka from the Clone Wars, and we're getting uh, Mandalorians from the prequels, uh, and we're getting uh, like just just everything imaginable it's so gratifying to longtime Star Wars fans. And I, Wiss, I'm so sorry. I went on an absolute tangent there. <laughs> I gave you a break, so now you get to talk for the next three hours, okay? Oh, sorry. I, I, I just went to go make dinner while you were talking. Yeah. I, 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 I recognize your tangents here. But, but so it's, it's, it is very true. Like, you know, if, if Dave Filoni is to Star Wars what Kevin Feige is to Marvel, you know, kind of like that, that overseeing... I that 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 knows that what man the fans in the hat. like. That oh, man in the hat. Yeah, he he's Ned. He's the guy in the chair. He he solves everything. Um, but it but star something like Star Wars needs that because of course everything is very interconnected. Everything is you know a thread. Even though you have these stories that are going on on the outside, and we're going to start to see some you know stuff like that. I know uh, John Watts is going to uh, to do. Um, uh, skeleton crew, which apparently is so far disconnected from everything in Star Wars, you know, it's just it just happens to be out there, and it's a Star Wars story, but everything still at the heart of it is still connected to to you know the Force. Yeah, you know, let's be honest. Um, however, as good as all the characters were, there is one character that stands out to me um, in shame, and it's probably not who you think. Like, can I take a guess? You may. Zero the hut. Oh my god, you were okay. It is exactly who you Let's think go! It is. <laughs> Let's go. And and I and Woo-hoo! I need 
I, I need to I need to disclaimer this that this is in no way uh, directed at Corey Burton. First of all, Corey Burton, uh, the voice of Shockwave in Transformers the movie, like the the, the original nineteen eighty seven. Again, uh, heavily filtered. Uh, <laughs> Shockwave yeah, but, acknowledges like no no, no that's no that's Soundwave. Shockwave. Oh my god, I'm such an uh, idiot. Hang yeah, your head bad. in shame for I should. I mean, the two best Decepticons right there, Shockwave and Soundwave, but, you know, hang your head in shame anyways. Um, but, okay, I recognize that Zero the Hut was based on Truman Capote, uh, and I'm probably going to get a lot of hate mail on this one here, but does he just not come across as the Lindsey Graham of the Star Wars universe? Like, seriously, it's so bad. Just yeah. so over the top. And just the like, Huts no. don't speak English. And I think they did that just, again, for the kids. They did that so that they wouldn't have to read so much subtitles and so that you can only hear solo so many times, right, before you're like, <laughs> yeah, he's just repeating things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Zero the Hut was definitely not a good one. I texted you a gripe that I had today, and I, I thought actually this would be pretty funny. <laughs> Guys, if you're watching this movie, go back. There's a scene where Ahsoka and Anakin first find Jabba the Hutt's kid and like two minutes in Ahsoka realizes this kid has a fever and Anakin reaches doesn't take his glove off he reaches with the glove on with his robot hand and holds the 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 baby's forehead and goes yeah you're right he's heating up (laughs) I I texted Wiz I said what the hell is going on now (laughs) Now, I, 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 I fully recognize there's going to be people who sit there and go, well, clearly the hand has sensors in it and all that. And plus, he has the force. He's a Jedi. Okay. But still, still. Yeah. Robot hand. No. Just, just. <laughs> it's like putting your, it's like putting your food in, in the microwave. Then click it like a minute or whatever, taking it out and being like, huh, it's warmer than when I put it in. Like, it's just, it's one of those things where you're just like, How? How does this get said? How, like, how do you, uh, (laughs) like, it's Filoni, too. How do you not catch that? Like, I know it was early. It was, it was, I think that was his first notable credit on a Star Wars project. It, it if was, I'm not mistaken, yeah. But, but, but the thing is, he wasn't the writer. He was just the director. Um, so it's, it's. You know, it's not necessarily his words per se, but definitely his influence, at least as far as the look and and a lot of that goes. Well, he got um, the look right. He got the look right. Let's talk about. You have to bring this back to your trailer eyes too. Let's talk about that opening voiceover um, because this is one of those things that was brand new to Star Wars viewers, and there was there was a lot. Let's be honest, there was a lot that was new that was thrown at the Star Wars fandom um, that they'd never experienced before. Uh, there was no uh, title scroll at the front. There was this voiceover. Uh, you know, it's like you know the the rebellion is still attacking. It's, it's like okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, that's that's new kind of thing. Uh, no John Williams score. No Frank Oz is the voice of Yoda. So I mean, fans who have been pretty much you know spoon fed their fandom to them, uh, all of a sudden how have to adapt to change. Plus, it's the first animated full length feature. Um, that that change though, Wiss, that change was a hundred percent for the kids. It is oh. a lot easier for kids to follow with their ears and with their eyes than mm-hmm. it is for them to read. And but I know to- this because I still read at a third grade level. <laughs> <laughs> What's a book? What's a book? 
I, I can't say that because I have more books than furniture here. I think I have enough books to make furniture. I, I, I fully admit that. But <laughs> but let's... Sit on a throne of lies. But when you realize, though, uh, when you think about that opening scroll, right... Um, that came straight from like the old Flash Gordon serials, like the like the the weekly in the theaters Flash Gordon, like black and white. Here's here's everything, maybe not angled, but here's everything that you need to know going into the story. Um, and then if you think about that voiceover, uh, that's very similar to like the the, the World War One, World War Two era, or probably more World War Two era kind of U.S. newsreel films. Like think about Captain America: The First Avenger. Right. And, you know, Steve Rogers goes to the movie theater and, you know, before he gets beat up in the alley and they're, they're showing that newsreel of, of how the war is going. Uh, that kind of voiceover kind of comes straight from that. So it kind of makes sense that the, the this, these old media references that George Lucas. It's being, the voice of exposition so they can throw you in halfway through. Right. But the best. The, the the best forms of medium today uh, have callbacks to the mediums that worked before. So it makes sense that if um, the scroll is from old science fiction serials, the this opening voiceover is from old newsreel serials. Like even the first Star Wars film, when they did a, a test screener beforehand and the film wasn't finished, uh, they had like you know black and white dogfight footage. Uh, from World War II saying, yeah, th- this is what things are going to look like um, before they actually finished it up and made it look as good as it did back in 1977. Um, so it just goes to show um, almost like the media sensibilities and the inspiration, especially too, if they're if they're doing newsreel style voiceovers at the beginning, well, you are in the middle of the Clone Wars. So it almost adds even more sense to this new addition to Star Wars shows. Yeah. For sure, it, dude. When you hit it on the nose, I've not, I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> when we were starting to talk about doing this film, um, you kept on telling me that the animation, the animation, you know, the shading and all that kind of stuff. But going back and watching this, the animation actually holds up pretty darn good. Um, you know, the shading is there, and when you think about it, I do recognize that it's nine years after the release of Phantom Menace. But that said, this animation holds up today to what Star Wars is putting out on, you know, at least now Disney Plus. Um, you take you go back and take a look at the CGI in Phantom Menace with that kind of budget. That CGI does not hold up at all today. Um, this does though. This it it it's definitely a different, unique look as far as animation goes. Um, but how do you think that was received by by fans who went to go see this in the theater? Like again, it's something new for them. I no, I and I I remember that because I, I was telling you that at the time of me watching it, I thought it was revolutionary. It was so cool. Um, and now I'm looking at it because things have innovated, because things have gotten better. Obviously, I look back at it and I go, huh, there's some stuff that I missed when I was a kid. It's like like my dad will watch like old movies. He What was it? Blazing Saddles. And he watches it nowadays and he's like, oh, it's in poor taste now. Like, like they're dropping N-words like left, right and center. And he's like, oh, yeah, this would not fly today. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so there's stuff that ages better than others. And uh, 
I think this, uh, from a story standpoint, from a kids' movie standpoint, I'm gonna show this to my kids one day. Like, this is not something I'm ashamed to show my kids. It's not a bad movie. Um, no, I I think it took a lot of crap, man. Honestly, I think it took a lot. I I don't I don't, I I keep saying it's not that bad. I'm not trying to plug your tagline, man. I'm seriously <laughs> telling people it wasn't that bad. Dude, if you want the T-shirt, say it ten more times. It's it's you know, there's no place like home. There's no. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. Click your heels together three times. It's it works. Not that bad. It's not that bad. Um, that said though, you know, the characterizations of characters that we knew before, okay. The droids, that the droids and all the robots and the spaceships, all the, like that looked phenomenal. Baby Jabba. The little sluglet. Oof. The little soccer ball looking guy. I just wanted to punt him. I wanted to take my TV, unplug it, and just drop kick it. Mm hmm. It would have hurt, but worth it. Like this thing, this thing's hideous. Like literally hideous. Yeah. Yeah. I would rather listen to 30 minutes of Shrewok with no subtitles than, than this thing. And it looks like one of the two Pokemon that you see in the little tall grass right away and if it's the second option of the two you're like yeah i'll come back from later and complete the pokedex he looks useless <laughs> it's it's honestly like someone tried to cgi slimer from ghostbusters but like the the you know displaced 10 time you know telephone game description of what slimer looked like and this is what we got it's i I I understand the storyline of, you know, having having uh, Zero work with Count Dooku in order to have Jabba's kid kidnapped to try and blame it on the the Jedi and the and the Republic, so they couldn't use the trade routes to ship their troops. I get it, I, I get that aspect of the storyline, but holy. F- this thing was just disgusting, which is even I think even made worse now, seeing how good it could be. I mean, let's be honest, Baby Yoda is a is a franchise unto itself. And I, I know its name is Grogu. And you know, this this is just, you know, Baby Jabba is just not that cute. Uh it just it no. it really I get it played up to the kid thing. I would rather I don't know. Would you rather Baby Jabba or Jar Jar? You know what I? Because uh, we're on we're on its. <laughs> oh boy, we're we're on. It's not that bad. Okay, so mm-hmm. I'm gonna try to salvage this here. In theory, and in execution, from a story standpoint, I think the curveball of Jabba having an offspring was great. I think that was a great choice from a narrative standpoint. Because I remember in the theater, I was genuinely surprised. And when when the viewer gets surprised or doesn't know what's going to happen next, they get absorbed into your movie. They start really focusing in on your story. If everything goes to plan and a viewer can guess everything that's going to happen, you start to notice the lights on the side of the theater. You start to notice the guy beside you eating popcorn. You stop kind of zoning into the movie a bit more. I, feel, I remember this vividly when I was a kid that I was in the theater and I noticed that there was a baby Jabba and I was like, wait, is that, it, even at that age, I was like, is that canon? Like, does he come back in the end or 
or is he not he's not in the original trilogy so i guess he dies here like and i was kind of waiting on the fate of it it's the thing about um we, we talked about this on just another nerd show um that it's these these period pieces these movies that take place between episodes you know the fate of certain characters so with this jabba's son character i think rota rota the hutlet yeah something um, like that yeah yeah it, it was interesting because this character could have survived past it and like zero you just have them you know rule a different part of the galaxy or like in the book of boba fett we meet two new huts um i know they're they were in the star wars lore before that in the comics and whatnot um but i mean like to people who just watch the on-screen uh stuff on disney plus and 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 in the theaters these were two new characters uh, same with Zero. Zero was a brand new character. They brought him back, I think, in the TV show a couple times. Um, I think they did. They kill him off in the TV show. I can't remember. Uh, there's so many. There's so many episodes. So many storylines. That's the mm. nice thing as well. The format for this movie was like the format that they set for the TV show as well. If this movie felt like three or four episodes all like pushed together, the TV show they literally did three to. four four or three to five episode story arcs and then they would just start over after that and Mm. it was cool because the season would have like four or five stories to it and it was like you were getting multiple movies and at the beginning of each episode it was the same narrator this is what you missed like (laughs) he would get you back (laughs) up to date and it was actually you know what as a kid and and growing up with with the clone wars and the tv show and this movie honestly it got me back into star wars it was a nice fun quick paced in, in the in the age where everyone has ADHD um it was really good to keep the attention of young fans and get them back and get them engaged um I don't know if you think differently Wiss but I I think this Clone Wars thing starting with this movie I know it only got better after but starting with this movie I think it saved Star Wars now that is a quote for it's not that bad I was about to say that's that's a bold statement there you know that's a do you have any other like the holiday special didn't do anything (laughs) for they had to wait till phantom menace but the funny thing is and you know we we've mentioned you know avengers and marvel a little bit here is that this movie kind of got you know retconned down the road to be even better like i'd be curious if some of those critics who you know maybe you know crapped on it when it first came out would go back and go in hindsight, you know, maybe I was a little too harsh because this is one of those movies that got better in hindsight because of everything that came out afterwards. We talked about uh, the continuation of the Ahsoka Tano storyline, uh, even in the final season of the Clone Wars series, right? To have that moment between Ahsoka and Vader, it's like, you know. That's a beautiful moment. Beautiful oh, absolutely. Moment. Oh. Right? Like that, that last season almost you know makes you want to take that 18 percent uh tomatometer and spin it around to an 81 percent because you know we don't get those moments if we don't have this film and and you, I, I hate to say it you're probably pretty right in that this film and the subsequent series helped save star wars from itself uh, because one of the things about this film is that as as much new as it brought to the Star Wars universe, it also had a lot of some of the things that people didn't like about the prequel trilogy. Um, I want to talk about the droids for a second. Like the super battle droids, they're cool. I'm, I'm down with it. The droidicas, 
I'm cool. I'm down with it. Yeah, I want to give some love real quick. I'm going to let you continue in a sec. There's a shot of Asajj Ventress walking into a room to talk to Count Dooku, and she's surrounded by super battle droids that are just in standby mode. Mm-hmm. I just looked at that shot, and I was like, chef's kiss. That was yep. gorgeous. It's a beautiful shot. Please continue, Wiss. But I I have to talk about the battle droids, though. My kids call them the Rogers, and I I, 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 I can't think of a better name for them. But Roger, Roger. Roger, yeah. Roger. Um, aside from Jar Jar Binks, this this is the most annoying character in all of Star Wars lore. I I I, I can't even like I recognize that when George Lucas did Phantom Menace, he had it in his mind that Star Wars was a kids movie. Um, so the you know the Rogers, if you will, um, makes sense from a kid's standpoint. But I think George Lucas forgot the imagination of a kid and you know the ability like R2D2 was an annoying as hell and that character stood the test of time C3PO wasn't annoying as a character annoying to everyone around him but wasn't annoying as a character all these droids that were in the original trilogy um weren't annoying you know they weren't catchphrasey they weren't they they weren't just caricatures of what you think a kid likes and i think that's the the biggest thing is that the battle droids and their mannerisms and their sheer stupidity because let's be honest this is the dumbest droid line ever and you know this might be why (laughs) they didn't give the pit crew droids any speaking lines because they came across as dumber (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about too The guys that, that hit each other in the eye And then they curl up into a little turtle shell Oh god those <laughs> Yeah Like that That's the that's the thing The the super battle droids Menacing is all hell They're yeah, great they, And they only made them more menacing In the Star Wars The Clone Wars uh, animation Mm-hmm the the droidicas when they when they were first introduced like the you know the rolling the, you know you know Jedi killing you know those are cool those are cool because they they are silent killing machines I don't need droids pontificating if they're right or wrong before getting knocked down with a lightsaber with the most inane dialogue I don't need droid dialogue I don't like the battle droids. We're just we're we're just too kid oriented, but not smart kid oriented. Okay, of the, the, the things wind- in this movie, of the things, mm-hmm. so taking out the scroll at the beginning, yes. uh, and adding in the narrator, adding in the battle droids, possibly being a little more on the G side than the PG thirteen side of PG. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe changing Obi Wan's personality to try and. I don't know, make him a little more lovable for the kids to, I don't know, whatever. Um, or what's the other thing? Or adding in Rota the Hut, adding in the little baby. Like, what was what was the one thing that was inexcusable? Was it the battle droids? Uh, I, I think it was because it was, it, it, they were almost too much at this point. I mean, it's it, in the actual movies, you got a little bit of Roger, Roger, um, you know, and that was about it. Right. I, I did like the one line, however, in Revenge of the Sith, where Grievous, it was something like the battle droid grabbed Obi-Wan and Anakin's lightsabers, and <laughs> and then he goes to hand Grievous the lightsabers, and Grievous is mid-speech, 
and the battle droid hands them to him, and Grievous just grabs them out of his hand, like, just doesn't give a crap. And then the, the, the battle droid just goes, Roger, Roger. Like, just really, really <laughs> sassy. That was the best Roger, Roger I've ever seen. It was just like, so, Roger, Roger. Like, <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I, I, I get it. I get it. But it is, it, it, it's like hearing the same joke over and over. It, it's like a sitcom that basically, you know, it's a Saturday Night Live sketch. That goes on for an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. When, when the sketch wasn't that good to begin with. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, like no one needed a ladies' man movie. But what do didn't. you replace that with? You made the clone troopers too cool. So you have to, in a kid show, you have to have some kind of henchman. It's just mm-hmm. a kid show 101. You have to have some form of a henchman. Um, that is lighthearted, um, that can lift up a story where, like, keep in mind the battle droids, the B1 battle droids, at least, um, they were the faceless army, so to speak, mm-hmm. the Chitauri that just showed up so that the bad guys can slice them in half. The super so, battle droids. Yeah, absolutely. Well, ex- well, the super battle droids were the more menacing ones. They were the ones they came in in the second wave. Usually, like this is just the story format, is they would come mm-hmm. in after, and that's when you knew shit was getting real. That's when you knew. But the B1 battle droids, you're like, okay, like whatever, there's no real threat here. And you could tell that by their speaking lines, right? That they mm-hmm. were never a threat. They were the, like uh, to Halo, what the grunts are, right? The grunts, they made them, I know in Halo Infinite, they made them so snarky. Uh, they all have these like one-liners, <laughs> there was there was one I was playing the game and he goes what are you compensating for something and I was like oh okay <laughs> that's personal <laughs> thanks I'm using a bazooka here okay chill like um <laughs> like like I, I I get it like but the thing is you can have snark without without it being corny or cheesy yeah like R, R2D2 is a is let, let, let's call it right now R2D2 though lovable yes but he can be a snarky like you know, people joke around that R2-D2 is the most censored character in, you know, movie history. Yeah, he gets bleeped um, out constantly. Constantly, right? <laughs> but but the thing is, you can tell what R2-D2 is implying based on the tonality of the beeps. It didn't need to be, you know, spoon-fed. It didn't yep. need to be dumbed down. What was you the one? Got he it. had his own Wilhelm scream, too. He was like... Arr! Oh, that that's straight up the R two the R two Wilhelm scream, and I loved it. It's great. I think if the battle droids were more like that, you know, um, I I don't even mind them saying Roger Roger, but it's, it's the corny lines, you know, like they're like they're supposed to have personalities. No, battle droids are cannon fodder, like you said. That's the first wave, right? Those are the ones getting trampled early and often. They don't need personalities. They really don't. The only the only robot that is allowed to have snarky dialogue and a snarky personality is Marvin the robot from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That's it. I have a feeling that, that might it. that might have been Disney trying to Disney up that show. But the, but this isn't I don't think Disney, that was though. a Dave Filoni thing. I really don't D- think that but, was a. But Filoni remember, thing. Disney only bought Lucasfilm in 2012, and this movie came out in 2008. And you, know, you don't that, think Disney had some say in that because the buyout no, but, would have started by then. No, because they were rogering all the way through the prequel trilogy, and that was straight George Lucas. Interesting. No Disney I hadn't whatsoever. Noticed that. I hadn't noticed yeah. that they weren't being like like 
not belligerent, that's the wrong word, but they weren't being like obliviously Roger Rogering. They, they were being like Revenge of the Sith. I was noticing the B1 battle droids a bit more, but like Phantom Menace, they were a faceless army. I don't think they got many lines at all. Uh, See, Attack of the Clones, they were getting sliced in half by the clones. Like the clones were still the focus of number two. Not, yeah, number mm-hmm. three, I heard I heard them a bit more. Yeah, it's it's almost like as Jar Jar spoke less, the battle droids spoke more, and yeah. it's just it's just a weird balance there. Um, but it still wasn't enough to make me think that this this movie was only an eighteen percent. So if I if you are a critic, right, and you're watching this today. Um, or even then, when it first came out, is this an 18 percenter? Because that feels like something that you have to, like, that rating feels like something that you should have a gun to your head saying, you're going to watch this or else. Okay, question for you. And I just mm-hmm. thought of this now, so feel free to cut this out. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> um, if you had to take somebody from the main cast of this movie that has not portrayed their character on screen and they had to play like say there was an unforeseen death somewhere in the Star Wars universe and everyone was very okay with you taking the voice actor and making them live action which one would you take I know exactly Ooh. who I'd pick okay I'm, I'm curious who you pick and then I, I can kind of you know get that'll give me time to gather my thoughts okay I would absolutely love the chance to see either Catherine Tabor play a Padme Amidala. Uh, that's my second choice. My first choice being Nika Futterman. She played mm-hmm. Asajj Ventress. And if she was ever okay with wearing a bald cap, uh, I'm sure they have uh, ways of doing that because they did it with Karen Gillan for a long time. She played Nebula in the Marvel movies. Um, oh my God, she'd be such a menacing Asajj Ventress. Uh, yeah, it'd be really cool. But they've already done, like, they did with Bo-Katan, right? They did, um, they had the voice actor, uh, Katie Sackhoff. Katie Sackhoff, yeah. She's playing, but, uh, Bo-Katan in live series now. But, I mean, that, that's just cool because, of course, you know, uh, Katie Sackhoff brings, of course, all that Battlestar Galactica cred, you know, along with her. So, it mm-hmm. just absolutely makes sense. But I, th- I think you're right. I think, I, I think if Nika Futterman was, was cast in as Asajj Ventures, because we haven't seen Asajj at all. You know, in uh, you know, in the um, you know, in the live action stuff. Although I will say, um, as far as Catherine Tabor goes, um, there are Padme based books that are coming out. She's actually doing some of the audiobook narration for those books. So I think it's really cool that they they've kept her in the Star Wars world even today, carrying on her role as Padme, at least in a voice sense. But I think I think I completely agree with you. Uh, Nika Futterman would be great if they brought her in with Asajj because I know there was a lot of backlash when Rosario Dawson did get the role of Ahsoka because they're like, you have a perfectly good Ashley Eckstein over here. Why isn't she um, Ahsoka? But I get, right, that, that as Ahsoka has aged, you want that, that voice to change a bit. Although I think, and I hope, that somewhere in that series, Ashley Eckstein gets to play a live-action role. Yeah, I think that would be... Because Matt Lanter's uh, guest starred on Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. He guest starred... I think D. Bradley Baker's had a guest star appearance. Well, um, D. Bradley Baker gets all the work in The Bad Batch, right? So, Well, that's the thing. That's that's literally his show now. Like, um, And I know Tamir Morrison is also... 
getting quite a fair bit of work. I, I'm surprised that they never went to him. Maybe they did, but that they never went to him to voice all the clone troopers again. It's interesting. It is interesting, but I, I, I mean, who knows, right? But I think D. Bradley Baker does a phenomenal job. He did a great um, job making the characters his own, but mm-hmm. I feel like the other actors that were playing these already established characters, they were trying to be uh, what had already come. I think D. Bradley Baker might be one of the few that was trying to make it his own because he wasn't going for that New Zealand, uh, ki- like the Kiwi uh, sound and clone trooper i think he was going for less of that i think a bit more of like a gritty sounding like you you know tamara morrison has a very like these are not the credits you're looking for like just very like (laughs) a very like low gruff voice right and i think the d bradley baker took more of a i you know it was kind of um like a drunk scotsman at a bar not scotsman but like a drunk british guy at a bar like it kind of sounded like that at times right um, but th- then again, there's only so many variations like D Bradley Baker, all the credit to him, um, in the last 15 years of doing this. Um, he's done a terrific job of having to play. What's, what's the number up to now? I think I remember at one point I read he had played over 500 different characters in the, in this franchise. It's insane. And it's a lot absolutely of them, insane. granted, a lot of them are clones, so they have the exact same voice. But then there's some where the story focuses on them a bit more. And you, like the Bad Batch, for example, it's a team of five. He does all five of them. And they all have to be different. When they speak to each other, he's literally going from one side of the mic to the other, having a conversation with himself. And, oh, my God, now I know how Seth MacFarlane feels on Family Guy. <laughs> like, this is just, it's crazy. But, yeah, all the power to him, man. He did great. Yeah, D. Bradley Baker is basically Hank Azarying the entire Star Wars universe. Um <laughs> Because, of course, Hank Azari just does every voice for, you know, The Simpsons, it feels like. Okay, it has come time for you, Kev, to lay it all on the line here and put one above all. Take Who my shirt is? Off? Oh, wait, no, sorry. No, 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 it's not that kind of show. Nope, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank God we don't have cameras on. No, yeah, don't, uh, don't worry, I didn't think you were going there anyways. Yeah. Uh, well, you know. Uh, who is your MVP <laughs> of 2008's Star Wars The Clone Wars? Uh, Dave Filoni. Really? Dave Filoni. I like I like the pick, but why? Um, it was his way of kind of cracking his knuckles and because George Lucas was an exec producer, it was still under Lucas Films at the time. Um, it was his way of creating a cast. Obviously, he had say, right? I know there was a casting director. I know there was there was a writing team. Like there were a lot of people that made this movie what it was. Um, but Dave Filoni finally got to show uh, what he could do. He got to flex a little bit, and he had George Lucas supervising. And I think we're better off for it. Like I, I wish, I wish that Dave Filoni had more say in the. Uh, sequel trilogy. I really wish he did. And, and and this is not an episode to dump on episode seven through nine. It's not. <laughs> um, but I, I do wish that he had had, if it, like him, J.J. Abrams and John Favreau had done a trilogy together. Oh, Wiss, like, can you just sit there and tell me that that's not going to be good? Like, come well, on. I mean, it, it is going to be interesting to see Skeletal Group because, of course, uh, Favreau and Filoni are teaming up with John Watts uh, in That'll order to, to make that 
oh, it's gonna be so awesome. The, oh. the, the the pedigree behind the camera for that one is just insane. Um, I'm going to cheat a little here, um, but it's my show, so I get to do whatever the f- I want. So I have co MVPs oh, here. Man, I do, I do. Matt Lanter is one of them. Oh yeah, because he, I think. It's hard for a voice actor to come in, especially when someone else has done that role in live action and try to, you know, at least make it sound like, yeah, it's still them kind of thing. But I think Matt Lanter did a wonderful job and actually improved upon what Hayden Christensen already brought to Anakin Skywalker. And you mentioned it earlier on the show, the fact that Hayden went and actually rewatched the Clone Wars to listen to what Matt Lanter did with Anakin. Yeah, it's a credit to what Lanter did. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to put James Arnold Taylor, uh, Obi Wan, um, as the as the co MVP because as as much as I as much as you hate what they did to Obi Wan, the one thing this this film did do was it played up more of the banter between uh, Obi Wan and Anakin. So when you go back and you watch Episode Three. And you hear Obi-Wan, you know, during that 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 fight on Mustafar going, you were my brother. This, because this was set in between those two movies, this kind of put more weight. Yeah, to it that develops moment. more of that relationship. It, he was mm-hmm. poorly written, like perfectly cast, perfectly cast. Can you remember the last time you and I sat uh, at the microphone and said somebody was poorly written, but perfectly cast? I'm trying to remember. I feel like I said that for Morbius. I I think I it give Jared Leto another crack at it. I think he'd be good with a good team. But oh no, my God. no, it's not Morbid time. It is not Morbid time. <laughs> Sorry, and but no. The people did not show up in full force. Uh, <laughs> no, we'll, we'll talk about that on just another nerd show this week. But no, my co MVP yeah. along with Matt Lanter is Ashley Eckstein. There you go. Um, I I will say it again. I don't know if Ray gets written as well as she is if Ahsoka Tano wasn't so perfectly done in this and then of course carried through in uh, the Clone Wars series. Ahsoka Skywalker, uh, yeah. No, Doesn't no. everyone get the last name now? Everyone gets it, right? No. That's no. how it works. Yeah, you get to pick your last name. Yeah, but only if you go out into the middle of the desert, take that lightsaber and bury it and forget it. And have no? a random moisture farmer ask you what your last name is. Yes. Because that happens on a regular basis. Yeah, uh, no. it's a regular Tuesday for me, buddy. <laughs> no, I, I full credit to Ashley Eckstein and Matt Lanter. They are my two co MVPs for this film. Let's be honest, the two of them really had to carry this entire film. This was very much an Anakin and Ahsoka film. It wasn't an Anakin and Obi Wan film. You know, it definitely wasn't as uh, Zero the Hut film. Um, it was it was very much an Anakin and Ahsoka film, which gave us you know seven seasons of of the Clone Wars TV series. Um, so don't let the critics score uh, fool you that this is a bad film. It's not. It's actually really really good. And I bet you anything, a lot of those critics, uh, if they were to do a rewatch, would probably rethink that eighteen percent. Tomatometer. Come on, guys, let's get it up to nineteen. Woo! <laughs> well, the, the audience score <laughs> is is you know even that though at forty percent. I, I bet you anything, people will now go back 
after watching the Clone Wars series and go, yeah, maybe I was a little bit wrong. Maybe I was a little bit harsh. Like, don't let the the the, the stink of the prequel trilogy ruin this for you because this was actually really, really good. Kev, tell us, you know, for those, you know, listeners of It's Not That Bad who have not yet listened to Just Another Nerd Show, I want you to describe to them what we do every week over there. Uh, we drink beer and talk about nerd stuff. That's um, <laughs> that's our tagline. We we find A grades and B beers. Um, <laughs> Oi, none of, none of my beers are B beers. That's true. I drink I, the good stuff. I drink, drink the light like, stuff, yeah. I, I'm a quantity guy. He's a quality guy. Mm. Yes. yes. I if, if drink to forget. If, he drinks to remember Matt Lanter in Star Wars The Clone Wars. <laughs> If you if Kevin were a wine drinker, he would be drinking cardboard and A or cardboard O. Cardboard and A. <laughs> oh. Just another nerd show at another nerd show. Twitter, Instagram. Uh you can always hit me up at Kevin underscore Hillsden. Uh Wiss is at are you still at Fix and Post? I am I am at Fix and Post. Uh that's the editor in me as far as the Twitter goes. Uh and for those of you who are listening to this show, uh you can find us on Twitter at it's not that bad. And while you're there, sorry, at not that bad cast. Man, I can't even remember my own Twitter account. There you Cle- go. Clearly the clearly the beer is good. You're no, killing it. Come, come to Twitter at not that bad cast. Uh because here's the deal. If there is a movie out there that is un fairly maligned or you feel is so bad that there's no way in hell that we can watch it and find anything good to say about it challenge us hit us up we will watch it we will dissect it and we will find the a grades in those b movies kevin thank you sorry kevin skywalker you are you know more than welcome to come on the show and watch horrible movies with us anytime uh always a pleasure go listen to us over on uh just another nerd show usually out either wednesday night or thursday morning we're talking we're in the middle of the obi-wan run uh we're gonna be jumping into miss marvel you're getting a lot of cool geek content over there i'm jay this is it's not that bad until next time everyone take care It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.